All right. We got some cornhole players in the room this morning. Who's going to win this tournament out here today? Not Pastor Jeremy. Pastor Haley said, hey, hey, uh, you, know, you know, you get an opportunity today to pie the pastor. I'm going to change clothes. I don't know what they, whether they're going to give me a garbage bag or something, but I brought, brought some clothes. So this is just an opportunity to have fun. Uh, if you have any pent-up aggression or offense to me, then that's, that's, that's fine. Just throw in a 20. Now, you can get these two for 10, but I'm, I'm $20, okay? This is a little more value. And by the way, let's, let me remind all you men at what Pastor Haley did at Easter with all those shirts. This would be a great way to get Pastor Haley back. So just want to... That's worth 10 bucks. Yeah. I'm just teasing. She's trying to wiggle her way out, but that's all I want to say. No, no, not at all. Uh, just want to take a few minutes briefly this morning to talk to you about connection. The relationship of one thing to another. Jesus said in John 15 that we're to stay connected to the vine that we abide in the vine, he is the vine, we are the branches. And when we abide in him, he said, you can ask what you will and it will be done for you. So there are multitudes of blessings of abiding, of staying connected. We stay connected to the things of God through our worship, through our prayer, through our time in the word, meditation, fellowship. Today, this is something that we stay connected to the Lord and to one another. The cross is not just a single beam upward. It's the reconciliation of God who was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not holding men's trespasses against them. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love bears no record. When Jesus died on the cross for me and you, the record of your sins and mine was completely obliterated. It was annihilated. God holds no record of your wrong. That's the kind of love that he gives for us. Now, because the, bar of the bars of the cross are two, they're dual. It's not just upward, but it's also outward. It is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And that's the cross that I die on. Loving God, putting him first, honoring him when things would draw me another direction. Loving my neighbor... Being the accepting light and love and the demonstration of what it means to be Christ-like to a world that has a skewed view of the church. These days more than ever, we need to be in touch. We need to be connected, not just to our belief system, but to the one that we believe in. Come on, somebody. And not merely believing in him. I believe in George Washington, but I'm not looking for him to do anything for me today. His life was important. He left his mark, the father of our country, the first president elected after we have a new constitution. And there are lots of historical people that we can point to to say that we believe in, but it's one thing to believe in Jesus. It's something else to believe Jesus and what he has had to say about me and you. Somebody say amen this morning. My text is in Ephesians chapter 2. The title of the message this morning is called Called to Connect. Everybody say Called to Connect. And the, the, the reason for that choice of title is because we can't do Christianity as a solo act. 
we are destined, we are in our, it's in our DNA that we are to be connected in community. There's to be koinonia, is the Greek word for communion. And there's to be fellowship. That means there's a whole bunch of fellows in the same ship. And you get in a ship with a bunch of fellows on the water, and you're going to have some close communion. You're going to have some fellowship. And you're going to learn what it means to make the decision to overlook an offense and to forgive one another and to love one another. Somebody say amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22 is my text this morning. It says, together, everybody say together. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Now read what I have emboldened here. We are what? Carefully joined together. There it is again. Carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, I love this, this thing is inclusive. We have no more exclusion. We are not dogging anybody, which was the common term that the Jews used for anybody else in the nations, the ethnos. The Gentiles were dogs. We're the, peop we're the chosen people of God. All the rest of you are a bunch of dogs. Isn't it interesting how we get with our group, whether it's a political affiliation or a denominational structure or our club or our clique or our in-group, and we want to put everybody else out. But the church cannot be that way. Come on, somebody. Through him, through Jesus, you Gentiles, those of you that were excluded, those of you that were on the outs by your race, by your practice, by your life, through him, all of you that were outcast are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Everybody say together. Like you mean it, say join together. Good, good. All right, our one thing. Here we go. The Father has called his people to be a living spiritual family, a community of believers in relationship to the Lord and to, everybody say, one another, walking, working, and worshiping together toward the advancement of God's kingdom. Now, find a screen. Read it out loud like you really mean it. I'll still only do it one time, so come on. Give it, give it to me like you can. The Father has called his people to be a living spiritual family a community of believers in relationship to the Lord and to one another, walking, working, and worshiping together toward the advancement of God's kingdom. Everybody say, we're in this together. I want to just briefly, thank you, Lord, today for clarity. Thank you for brevity. I want to briefly just touch a flyover. I'm going to give you a bird's eye view of the one another's of the New Testament. Over 100 times is this phrase used. In English, it's two words, one another. In Greek, it's one, one word, giving us this concept. Paul is responsible for the majority of them in his epistles, in his letters to the various churches. They range from stir up one another to good works, encourage one another in the faith, love one another, be kind one to another, and forgive one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Do, 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 do. Ephesians 4.32. If you didn't know what that was, we used to use ridiculous ways to memorize Scripture in our college youth group at Arkansas State University. First in the big First Methodist Church, and they had a wave of the Holy Spirit blow through there, and the charismatic movement hit in the 70s and 79s when I started my freshman year at A-State. And... Uh, then over the summer, Trinity Church was born. 
Worth Gibson, great, wonderful Methodist pastor who got filled with the Holy Spirit in the Pentecostal charismatic outpouring, and God began to shake Jonesboro. And that was part of the whole move that I was involved in. We had hundreds of kids that got saved in, in freshmen, uh, sophomore, junior, seniors in college that we went out in the old EE program, Evangelism Explosion, Grace, Man, God, Christ, Faith, and we would share our faith. And it was an amazing day to see what God was doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning when I talk to you about one another, it's something that has meant something to me for a long time because relationships were built back then that have affected the rest of my life. I built friendships in college that have been lifelong friendships. They're relationships that I can count on. And you know, we can be disconnected for a, a year or two and we can see each other and it's like no time has even passed. We can plug right back in and we can just pick up where we left off. There's no dancing around, no awkward moments. You know that's a real friend, some, someone that's, that stood the test of time, that's, that's been loyal, that's been faithful to you, that stood with you, that was brave enough to look you in the face and go, uh-uh, that ain't going to go. I'm calling BS and I don't mean Bible study. When you've got a friend that's willing to tell you the truth, willing to love you, my, a friend of mine used to say years ago, a friend is someone who knows everything about you and is still your friend. Now, aren't you thankful that you've got one or two of those in your life? Come on, somebody. Outside of those one or two extremely close friendships, relationships, we need to have a network and a community of believers that we lean into when we go through difficult times, when we face challenges. When you look at these, all these one another's in the New Testament, they can be grouped into three major categories. And I want to speak to those just very briefly for a few moments this morning. The first one is the idea of unity. Everybody say unity. When we look at unity, it's the concept of being together in agreement. Jesus said, if two of you will agree together. And he's talking about the prayer of agreement. If you will agree together, the Greek word for agreement there in Matthew 18 is the Greek word symphoneo. We get our English word symphony from it. If two of you will get in symphony, if you will get in tune together, and it's not about convincing the other person to agree with my views, it's about both of you getting in line with what the Word says. When we can make the Word the central uh, focus and the aspect of our lives, then we can find a greater degree of agreement. Now, I want to point out briefly this morning that unity is not unanimity. Unity is not unanimity. It doesn't mean that we're unanimous in everything. The difference and the distinction between me and a lot of pastors in the U.S. is that I'm not out on some ego trip. I, I, our lead team... Uh, basically, we embrace a host of things, and we are unified in those things. But there are other smaller, less critical issues that we don't agree on, and that's okay. As a matter of fact, I believe that's a blessing from God. I believe the church is not just to be a unity, but it's a, to be a diversity. As a matter of fact, that's where the word came from out of both the Reformation and its influence and what had begun before in the Renaissance, the rebirth of the arts. And it was that scholastic push in the Roman Catholic Church of teaching and educating people and bringing them out of ignorance 
and it was this concept where the university was developed. You see two words, uni as in unity, and diversity, university. There is unity in diversity. There is joining together even when there's differences of thinking and thought and pursuit. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's not just supposed to be an echo chamber or a bless me club where everybody agrees on everything. First of all, that church is only going to have one member. Come on, don't even look at me in that tone of voice. Some of you, you can't even agree on everything with the the person you're living with right now, your spouse, your wife, your husband. Uh, You know, I, I remember when Dawn and I married, there was a little plaque on above the sink and it said the views of the head of this house are not necessarily those of the management (laughs) ladies you should appreciate that unity is not unanimity we don't all agree and see eye to eye but we agree on some greater things that Jesus Christ is Lord over our lives come on put your hands together Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, let them be one as you and I are one so that the world may know. When we are unified, revival comes because the world stops and looks and says, oh my goodness, these people are actually getting their act together. Where two or three of you are gathered in my name, I will be there in your midst. Bob Mumford's a great teacher of the latter rain, charismatic, early independent Pentecostal outpouring, very, very learned educated man and he used to say it this way where two or three are gathered together in my name there am I in your midst he said the Mumford translation is when two or three of you can get together I'll show up just to see it Jesus said how many know that's the truth unity the scripture says in Mark 9 50 be at peace with one another John 6 43 don't grumble among one another Romans 12, 6 and 15, 5. Be of the same mind with one another. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another. Everybody say accept. That means people you don't agree with. That means folk who look different than you. That means people who cook their food differently than you do. Now, there's some generally accepted cooking principles in the South. And once you get down here, you... No, I'm just kidding. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. You know, quit eating your brother and sister for lunch. Now, I'm I'm not talking about some kind of cannibalism, but it is spiritual cannibalism when we're constantly biting and devouring each other. Don't do it, the Bible says. If you do it, it's going to destroy unity. Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgive one another. Bear with one another and forgive one another. Bear each other's burdens, the Scripture says. Seek good for another. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. Confess sins one to another, James 5. Unity is not only unanimity. Unity is also not uniformity. We don't all look the same. We don't dress the same. We don't talk the same. But it means that we have reached to something that is bigger than all of our differences because there is more that we agree on than the few things that we disagree on. I expect an amen, whether you won't feel like it or not. Come on. The Father has called His people to be a living spiritual family, a community of believers in relationship to the Lord and with one another, walking and working and worshiping together toward the advancement of God's kingdom. Unity. Everybody say, be unified. That's together in agreement. Number two, love. Love. Love is what the whole thing is about. 
Faith is powerful. Hope is amazing. But, but the, the writer of 1 Corinthians says the greatest of these is what? Love. Uh, uh, it, it, is, it is the old English word charity. It's the Greek word agapeo. It's the idea of unconditional, everlasting, not quitting, giving up kind of love. It's not contractual love. It's not based upon someone's merits or demerits. But it's a decision that I'm going to love you even when you're unlovely. And guess what? You do the same. And when we do that, then the scripture says that we can demonstrate to the world. The Bible says in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Not your education, not your political affiliation, not your denominational uh, membership, not the community you live in, not your IQ, not your economic social status, none of those things. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. We misquote it and say love one for another. How many know you can have love for somebody and never show it? But the actual word in the New Testament says love one to another. Everybody say love is an action. That's what this is about. Love literally is together in action. Listen to this. John 13, 34, 15, 12, and 17, Romans 13, 8, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, 4, 9, 1 Peter 1, 22, 1 John 3, 11, 4, 7, verse 11, and 2 John 5, all say, love one another. Say it with me. Love one another. Through love, serve one another, Galatians 5, 13. Tolerate one another in love. Come on, you got somebody that just grinds on your last nerve? Don't look at me like that. Come on, you know, you know those people. Everybody's got somebody like that in your life. They're an EGR person. You know what an EGR person is? Extra grace required. How many of you know that if you're having a hard time dealing, how many of you know you just need to pray and say, Lord, give me more love in my heart? This love, put this love. Put this love. You put this love in my heart. It's an old Keith Green song from years back. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, brothers, we're not taking that literally around here. In other cultures, that's accepted in America. Nope, better jump back, Jack. Let me shake your hand. Hallelujah. <laughs> Be devoted to one another in love. Love makes the world go round. I still think one of the greatest rock anthems, it ought to be a song that the church sings. It's early 90s, it's Foreigner, and they've, they've released, I want to know what love is, and that's what the world is saying. Come on, finish it with me. I want you to show me. Don't tell me. Words are empty. Words become powerful when you back them up with our actions, and love is an action verb. Everybody say, love one another. Are you getting anything out of this? And last point, and I'm going to be finished. We're going to go eat us a hamburger and a hot dog and throw some bean bags and some corn holes and, and pie Pastor Haley. I'm, I'm teasing you. The Father has called his people to be a living spiritual family, a community of believers in relationship to the Lord and one another, walking, working, and worshiping together toward the advancement of God's kingdom. Number three, we've talked about unity together in agreement. We've talked about love together in action. Finally, the third one is humility. Everybody say humility. That's together in attitude. Together in attitude. I think sometimes the church can come across 
as so arrogant. And I just may I stand before you and confess my sin to you? I've had to wrestle over the years, and God has a way of taking you through circumstances and breaking you and melting you and molding you in his image where you don't think that everything you know is so all-powerful. Because there's an interesting thing. More knowledge just puffs up and just makes us more windbaggy. It makes us more arrogant. And there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. I want you to know that. Too often times, folk completely religiousize the idea of humility. And, and, and they give us this concept that they think or that, that to be humble means to really think lowly of yourself. And I want to tell you, that's not at all what the Bible means. It's the concept of meekness, which is not weakness, but it's power under control. The greatest thing you can do to humble yourself before the Lord is to recognize what He has done for you and now know yourself and the gifts that God has given you and express those with godly confidence and full dependence upon Him. I say it every time I get up here and pray, God, I need you. I need you more than I've ever needed you before because I need to regularly hear it myself and you need to hear me say it. We need to model dependence. Parents, we need to model dependence upon God and interdependence upon each other. None of us is smarter than all of us. We need each other. Not one of us is more gifted or has all of the answers or the solutions to the problems that we face as a people, as a nation. C.S. Lewis, the great... Catholic theologian, philosopher, really, gave us this quote, and I love it. And he said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Now, I want you to get that. So here we go. Let's do it together. Humility isn't thinking less of myself. Humility is thinking of myself less. That means that the time I spend thinking is in consideration of others. It means that I, to be considerate means that I am being thoughtful about the status or the need or the heart or the condition of a brother or sister. To be humble means I fully recognize the gifting and the calling of God on my life, but I keep it tempered with the awareness that I'm utterly dependent upon God to bring it to pass. And I need Him and I need you. None of us are independent what was it, John Dunn, No Man is an Island? You know what? And there's this, this whole, uh, through the thing that has existed through Christianity, that I'm just a lone ranger for Jesus. You know what? God doesn't call any of us to ride the range by ourselves. Christianity is not a solo act. It's to be done together in community. It's to be shared together with people who recognize that as humans that we hurt each other and we offend each other and we have to tolerate and forgive and be kind one to another. Come on, somebody. We say the words, but is the church modeling that? Father, help us today. Convict me. Convict our hearts to, to be unified together in agreement and, and to walk in love together in action. And finally this morning, to be humble before the Lord, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And he says in due season, the Lord will lift you up. This is an issue of maturity. 
immature believers don't have a sense of EQ, emotional quotient, emotional intelligence quotient. Just no self-awareness, just going around blurting things out and not aware of how that affects people and how other people see us. And the church desperately needs a, a, a real sense of the development of self-awareness and an EQ and an emotional intelligence. Because when I am mature, then I will take other people into consideration and not just let my words just... Because the power of life and death is in the tongue. I took Abby to the airport Thursday morning. I had to set my alarm at 2.25 a.m., and we had to roll out at 2.45. The day prior, they had totally messed up her flight out of Memphis International Airport. She got there. American Airlines showed that, that her ticket was hers. It even gave her a boarding pass. She got there and come to find out there was an issue with her credit card that she put it on. And got it all resolved. But at that point, there were no more flights. This is Memorial Day weekend. And the ticket price jumped one day from where she was flying to from $487 to $1,398. And it was not a direct flight. It was like, you know, deliver the mail kind of a flight. You know, you fly in, land, 40 minutes, sit in the plane, get up and pick, you know, go somewhere else. And, and so she's exasperated. She's already got an Airbnb reserved where she was flying to. And, and so I just said, well, well, she says, what do you think about if I, I, I go to Nashville? I said, we well, got to rent a car, and you're going to have to leave at 2 in the morning. That's, that's pretty outrageous. I don't, really don't want you doing that on the road by yourself. Dad, I'm a grown woman. I know, baby. I know. I said, check Little Rock. Oh, I've never thought about flying out of Little Rock. So she checked Little Rock, and the only direct flight, had a direct flight, you know, boom, get up, get back down, you're there, where she was going. But the flight was 5.47 a.m., and I just hung my head. Oh, Jesus, have mercy. Because I don't know about you, but I think God's still sleeping at 5.47 a.m. Not literally. Scripture says he never slumbers or sleeps. And I'm, I'm up having coffee at that moment, but driving a car an hour and a half, two hours, ready to see people, no, 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 no. You don't want to see me before the first cup of coffee has been consumed. It's that... The Holy Ghost comes through that coffee to me in the morning. I just want to tell you. If I can tolerate you, it's because I've had a cup. Glory to God. Don't look at me that way. You've got to tolerate me, remember? <laughs> anyway, so we're on the road and we're riding. And I have a story. And I want to finish this and say the amen and pray and, and rededicate our hearts this morning to walk in unity and to walk in love and to walk in humility. And we're riding down the road and we're pulling up. I've got my iPhone plugged into my stereo system in my Jeep, and we're playing some old songs and just having a great time. It's 3.15 in the morning. We're going down I-40 and headed to Little Rock. And I said, Abby, do you remember the morning on the way to school? She was a little girl, maybe sixth grade, seventh grade, and we were listening to a very, very well-known, world-renowned worship leader who has phenomenal vocal control. And that morning she said, Dad, do you ever think that I'll have that level of vocal control with my voice? I said, Honey, I'm going to tell you, if you'll work at it and trust God, you can be better than that. And y'all, I'm telling you this because just that day, 
that individual called and said, hey, I've just been thinking about you and praying for you. I know there's crazy pressure on you with everything that's going on in the music world with you. And this individual said, I want to do, I want to collaborate. I want to do some stuff with you. I remember her asking me as a little girl, Dad, do you think I can ever write songs like John Mayer? And I said, honey, you'll perform with him one day. I told her that when she was a little girl. I said, if you'll trust God and work hard and never quit, and you know what? The last couple of months, seven weeks, she was opened for his tour. And it blows my mind. Now, I'm not standing up here bragging on my children. Some of you think that's what I'm doing, but that's not even what it's about. It's about planting seeds of faith into those that God's given you responsibility to steward their lives. When you see, come on, Scripture says encourage one another, and to encourage means to put heart into. Cour is the French word for heart. And so I, I always look for the place. If, we, if you spend all your time nagging and correcting your children, they will grow up and be, you know, neurotic and just anxious. But if you will love them and encourage them and build into them, guess what? That's a microcosm of what the larger church is supposed to be like. We're supposed to find a way to stir each other up to good works. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. You, you, you have a dream in this place for a business. You have a dream to make some great art, to write some great music. You have a dream to build, to construct you know, guess what? If you'll trust God and you'll work hard and you'll never quit, God will show up in your life and manifest himself in ways that will blow your mind. But we've got to not lose the simple things, the small things. Loving one another, encouraging one another, stirring each other up. Parents, you are responsible for building this kind of an awareness of God's goodness into the lives of your children. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. I'm so grateful, so thankful for that and the opportunity to stand before you this morning. Thank you, Colby, for coming on. We're going to wrap this up today and head outside and have a hamburger, hot dog, whatever it is on the menu. Have you got anything out of this message this morning? Let's make a commitment today to be unified together in agreement. Let's make a commitment to walk in love together in action. Let's make a commitment to humble ourselves, to be fully aware of what God's called us to be and act in that while we're dependent upon him and interdependent upon each other. When we do that, God will show up in ways that will shake the planet. I have hope. I have a dream in my heart for the Delta in 20 years not to be the way it's been the last 20 and I believe that Jesus is the answer. And I believe that the church is the hope to bring that answer. And that means that we've got to be able to articulate it in a way that doesn't just shut everybody down. And we need to demonstrate it with our action before we open our mouth and put words to it. So heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, thank you for the privilege in this room this morning that we have to be reminded of your great grace and mercy. Forgive us, O oh Lord, when we indulge and when we just bask in the goodness and greatness and mercy and the grace of God, and then we forget to give it to someone else. Lord, it's like the parable of the man who owed millions to a king, and he 
was forgiven and then he went out and found a man that owed him $20 and threw him in jail. God, help us to share forgiveness and grace and mercy and acceptance with others because we've each been forgiven so great a debt. We commit to that. It's about eyes closed. Father, make us one, even as you and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. Father, show us, fill us with your love, fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can love each other and we can love the world around us. God, we ask you that when we recognize all of this and see the greatness you've called us to, that we would humble ourselves, not thinking less of ourselves, but learning to think of ourselves less and others more. We commit this to you. Bless this food we're about to receive. Bless our fellowship. Bless the cornhole tournament. Lord, bless Pastor Haley. She gets hit with all those pies. Or me. You hit me with them. Lord, we just thank you for this. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.